All right, well, we're starting a new little season for the month of December, and it's one I'm pretty excited about. Uh, I've been calling it Emmanuel. So if you're familiar, it actually fits pretty well transitioning from Revelation. You might not guess that watch. I'm going to tie it all together for you. Uh, way back in the very beginning, if you were with us when we did the book of Genesis, uh, one of the things that was lost in the garden was not just the garden itself kicked out of the garden. The real loss was that man lost its relationship to God. Uh, so much of what made the garden good was the fact that Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, in conversation with God. And as they found themselves expelled from the garden, one of the things that was lost was this relationship, this God with them, walking with them in the garden. And pretty early on in the Old Testament, one of the things that starts popping up as a promise is this promise that God would come back to be with his people. And so you find Isaiah prophesying it, and it finds its fulfillment in the birth narrative, Matthew in particular, and one of the angels visits to Joseph says that this child will be born, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us, that this lost relationship would finally begin to be restored. Uh, what makes it such an interesting connection is we just finished the book of Revelation. And you might remember the final scenes of Revelation end with this picture in this famous line, God came down and was with his people, if you remember from the last chapter of Revelation. That one of the things that makes this new heaven and this new earth so great is the fact that God is once again walking with his people in relationship with his people. Uh, one of the things we celebrate at Christmas time is, though, is the full anticipation of that. We had a, a piece of it, a taste of it. Christ himself now with us in body, in flesh, one of us, the incarnation. But his coming and ultimately his leaving, his ascension, his promise that the Spirit would come to bring that presence is really an anticipation that pulls us into that final moment of realizing life for all eternity with him. So over the next few weeks, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take this topic, God with us. What does it look like? How does God demonstrate himself now, this Emmanuel coming down, walking in the midst of this life, not just a system we believe, not just sets of rules we follow, but a real God who is with us. And there's probably no better way to do that than to hear uh, from people who have experienced that, because all of us have testimonies about God has revealed himself in our life. So over the next few weeks, uh, four weeks, we're going to uh, hear from different people. Today's going to be Trent. Uh, Trent was first. Uh, if you come to the men's Bible study, you know Trent has led us in there for a year now and done a great job with it. I know I sense it and other people have mentioned too. It's easy to see God using Trent and speaking to Trent and leading him. So uh, I was excited to be able to have him sort of kick us off on this topic. And I left it very open-ended. I said, the series is Emmanuel. All I would like to do is walk away hearing a little bit about how God has worked in your life and what that means to you. So uh, there'll be good weeks, I'm sure. So uh, give a big, warm round of applause for Trent as he comes up to the podium. Well, good morning. I am Trent. I think, uh, I think I know most of you. I don't think that's the great thing about being in a small church is uh, I really think you all know me. So... That's great. But um, yeah, Chase did ask me to speak. So as many of you know, um, as he just mentioned, he's uh, asked several members to come forward and, um, and testify to how Christ has shown uh, himself in our lives. And I have the astute honor of bringing the millennial perspective uh, to these series of messages. And I must say I'm filled with a mixture of fear and excitement. Um, you all have the honor of listening to a guy who has never preached formally and uh, whose last formal presentation covered the topic of risk factors for vertebral artery dissection with upper cervical manipulations. <laughs> no, no, no. So please, bear with me. Um, I'm really honored that Chase asked me to speak, uh, and the exercise of piecing this little talk together was both enlightening and rewarding for me. 
thinking about how Jesus Christ has shown himself in my life is a fairly open-ended thesis statement for discussion, as Chase mentioned. As I sat down and began to reflect on things, I thought, hmm, how has God shown and revealed himself to me? <clears throat> to my recollection, God is all I've ever known. I've never had any significant health problems other than indulging in peanut butter a little too much. I grew up attending a great Christian school where everybody loved Jesus, or so they proclaimed. I have a great family and wonderful friends. So the question that arose was, where was God in all of this? And when did I begin to walk and truly abide in him? As I spent more time thinking about these things, my true testimony and the long-working sovereign hand of God became abundantly clear. Reflection on one's life, regardless of your age, uh, can make you feel old really fast. Some years are filled with tremendous change and polarizing memories. Others don't seem to bear anything of significance. As a whole, the various chapters of my life seem to be defined by who or what were most important to me at that time, or perhaps something I was pursuing, such as my education. As a 12-year-old, I can remember the rush of adrenaline as my world revolved around a summer's day spent with friends on a trip to Silver Dollar City. Life was simple then. I loved others and looked for the best in people. I was so immature and naive about the realities of life that my life, as many a young boy's, was lived completely carefree. I can remember getting my first job at a golf course two months before I turned 16, and my world being caught up in two things, my black five-speed Camaro, and getting to play golf on Sunday afternoons with my dad. Then came my high school years, a horrible mix of braces, monthly shipments of proactive for my acne-spotted <laughs> face and shoulders, and the oddest gathering of kids at a school known as Grace Classical Academy. We wore uniforms, and I apparently wore the same pair of Doc Martens as one of my friend's moms. <clears throat> I ran the mile in a pair of sweatshorts and a polo. <clears throat> my time in high school is where I met some of my greatest influences, both good and bad. Then came college. As a commuter to Missouri State University studying biology, I didn't make many friends. But the friends I already had and the new ones I made were so meaningful. <clears throat> Sorry, I just lost my spot. <laughs> um, I love my time in undergraduate study. I miss it dearly sometimes. However, this was the point in my life where I really felt like my trajectory, my future, and my meaning would be defined. I had aspirations of becoming a doctor, and even though I hated some of the coursework that came along with the pursuit of this career, I pushed through. I attended pre-medical society meetings where dozens and dozens of students would organize to chart their way to the top, always comparing extracurricular activities and coursework. I just went to the meetings to put my name on the list. Then it was off to La Hacienda. After taking the MCAT sometime around my fourth year at MSU, I realized that unless I took my time, more time to truly devote myself to the study of organic chemistry, microbiology, and the biomedical sciences, I just didn't have a hope of getting into medical school. So I let one dream go in order to pursue a new, perhaps slightly less exciting one. I decided to apply for physical therapy school. And I got into one of the two programs I applied to. <clears throat> My three years at Southwest Baptist University were incredible. Granted, the small town in southern Missouri called Bolivar was less than thrilling, with main attractions being a five-screen movie theater, a decent YMCA for pickup basketball games, and Stockton Lake about 20 minutes away. The class of 2016, which comprised 80 students, became a large part of my identity for a time. Although I was not close with anyone near, anywhere near the whole class, 
I formed relationships during this time that are some of my most cherished. Thinking about my life through these years really does impress upon me how fleeting time is and what a short time we have to make an impact on others or allow others to have an impact on us. However, as I think back upon the last decade of my life uh, and, try, and trying to think of God's influence in my life or how he has shown himself to be faithful, I'm sadly struck by one overshadowing feeling. That feeling is how terribly little I grew and developed in my relationship with Jesus Christ over the last two decades. He provided so many blessings and gave me so many resources to learn more about him, but I was perfectly content to simply go through the motions. With that being said, it would seem that crafting a presentation around how Christ has shown himself in my life would be a little difficult. But oh, how even I was surprised. Because when I think of how God has shown himself in my life, I think about how he has shown himself in my life in the last two years. In the summer of 2015, I went on a medical missions trip to El Salvador. This was the second mission trip of my life, the first occurring just one year prior. Prior to my first trip, I was extremely conflicted about going. The feeling inside was so hard to describe. It was like I didn't feel worthy of going, but was still drawn to go. I think I had very little faith that God could use me for anything good on such a trip. <clears throat> but nevertheless, I couldn't escape the feeling that I should go, and I had so many friends encouraging me to do so. After my first trip to Haiti in 2014, I came away with a tremendous appreciation for being born in America and couldn't believe the enthusiasm, joy, and zeal of Christians in such poverty-stricken parts of the world. But to be honest, I did not come away with, from my first trip with the sense that God really moved in my life, something I think I was wanting. So in preparation for my second trip, yet again, I was conflicted. Would God use me? Why should I go? Would I be bold enough to share the gospel? The most important part of a trip with a medical missions team, one would assume. All of these questions would remain unanswered until the trip itself, where I believe Christ reached down, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, and said, Trent, cast aside your net and follow me. <clears throat> While on this trip, I worked with many different medical professionals, one of which was a dentist. My job was to assist the dentist by cleaning and organizing uh, instruments as well as preparing lidocaine needles for use and disposal. While attempting to dispose of a needle that had just been used on a middle-aged woman, I accidentally stuck myself in the finger and started bleeding. Immediately, my heart sank to the bottom of my chest. I don't think I took a breath for several seconds. In a state of slight panic, I walked over to the dentist and quietly informed him of my mistake, and with big eyes, he said, you need to get that looked at. <clears throat> I walked down the hall to the room where the physicians were located and grabbed Dr. Lou Harris, telling him I had accidentally stuck myself. He quickly grabbed some medication and told me to take it. I will never forget Dr. Harris and the way he dealt with me in that situation. He could see the sheer panic in my eyes. There's no doubt it was unbridled and evident. <clears throat> As we walked down the hall, he placed his arm around me and said gently, Trent, it's going to be okay. There is a very low risk of anything serious happening here. As I returned to my room that night, it's one of the few moments in my life where I felt most alone. I had absolutely no cell phone service or internet while in the country, and there was no way for me to share my plight with loved ones back home. For the next four nights, I lay on top of my sheets wide awake. This was in part due to the fact that when me and my two roommates entered our room for the first time that week, there was a three-inch cockroach sitting on top of my bed. 
Devin, a fellow classmate, dove onto my bed, attempting to swap the roach at my, me and my friend Clancy. He missed, and the roach hit the wall and fell between another bed, never to be seen again. <laughs> I've had better night's sleep. Instead of counting sheep, I was counting the number of illnesses that were brewing in my body. I was thinking about the different ways in which my life would play out now that I was infected with something. I thought, here I haven't even started practicing as a physical therapist, and within five years, I may have to quit due to the fatigue of having AIDS. Or I thought, when I die from HIV or hepatitis in the next 10 years, I'm going to leave all my student debt to somebody, most likely my parents. <laughs> then I thought, what girl would ever be interested in a relationship with a guy who has AIDS? As you can imagine, fear, anxiety, and sadness began to weigh heavily on my mind. Perhaps the most difficult part of these days and nights of anguish was that I felt no assurance from God that everything would indeed be okay. I prayed and prayed, and somehow I felt God was silent. At the end of the week, the mission team and the elders of the hosting church gathered together for dinner. During our meal, Jimmy, the leader of our trip and a native of El Salvador, told an emotional story about the devastation gang violence had created in the region and the impact our trip had made in several situations. Jimmy said that on Tuesday, the day of my accident, a certain woman came into the free clinic who happened to be the wife of one of the gang leaders. She had, an, she had abandoned her son, a little guy, in the aftermath of a shooting in their village. That boy now attended the Christian school and the church we were partnering with. <clears throat> As a means of outreach to this woman and in efforts to strengthen the relationship between a mother and child, she had been informed of our medical team's arrival and was invited to come receive treatment. She also had AIDS. Realizing the patient whose needle I had jabbed in my finger was a female, once again my heart sank and my week went from bad to worse. As the week drew to a close, I became mentally and emotionally exhausted. The past five days had been an endless search for God and His assurance. I couldn't stop praying, not for more than 30 minutes or if I happened to fall asleep. As I returned to the States, I could not wait to get back and share my burden with my parents in the hopes that they might provide me the peace and assurance I was looking for. As I soon learned, no one, no one person could provide what I was searching for. The real impact of this story came in the days following my return home, when after searching and searching for an answer from God, I was given none. I had to make several visits to the AIDS Project of the Ozarks for free testing over several months because HIV testing in urgent care is $800 per test. <clears throat> Sitting in the waiting room at APO is something I wouldn't wish on anyone. You sit there, head down, occasionally looking up to see who is waiting with you. And the look of fear, sadness, and shame seems to cover each individual's face, including mine. A young guy sat next to me, physically shaking out of what seemed to be anxiety and fear. These are tough memories, and I remember the internal struggle I began to have with God, trying to say in faith, Lord, if this is what you have for me, I accept it. The struggles I had with these questions made me believe my so-called Christian faith, up to the age of 25, may have been more of a parade of good or appropriate behaviors, rather than a genuine personal relationship with the Almighty God. The last decade of my life was a blur spiritually. I had not grown an inch in my faith in Jesus Christ. I wouldn't even say that I, was, I thought God was satisfied with me, my behavior, or my pursuit of him, but rather I just didn't care. I know that sounds harsh, but I truly think I was happy going through the motions. God is intolerant of double-minded men. He also knows your heart better than anyone. 
Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God would no longer allow me to carelessly idle by living in sin, but rather would bring my need for him and the grace of Jesus to the forefront of my attention. I believe he used the summer of 2015 to put my faith to its first true test and reveal to me that I was not ready to call on any source of strength that had been fostered growing up. Looking back now, the weeks following my return home were filled with some significant changes to my perspective on life, my opinion of myself, and what I would choose to pursue with all my heart. It's somewhat frightening to reflect on so many years of idle behavior and to think about what Jesus saved me from. It's like narrowly avoiding disaster. We've all been there at one point or another. The moment we paused at a green light just long enough for a car to run a red light in front of us. After the adrenaline subsides, we realize the magnitude of what we've been saved or spared from and imagine the course of our lives in a totally different direction. This realization was what weighed so heavily on me during those weeks when I came home and unfortunately is what motiv- and ultimately is what motivated me to commit forever and always to Christ as my savior. As I have reflected on the ways in which Christ has revealed himself in my life, I have come to realize how gentle and he has been in guiding me, correcting me and encouraging me. As I consider the test that God chose to administer in El Salvador and the subsequent shift in my thoughts and pursuits, I feel that Paul is speaking directly to me with his words in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, <clears throat> you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Simply attending church on Sunday listening to the occasional sermon on the radio, or even reading your Bible a few times a month does not guarantee that God will renew your mind and allow you to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. But rather, it is the true pursuit of your heart and the willingness to forgo the pursuits of this life that allow you to hear God's calling the clearest. If you're like me and wonder, what are my pursuits? And are they helping me present my body to God as a holy, acceptable, and living sacrifice? Are they helping me not to live idly, but to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ? I think these seven rules for self-discovery penned by A.W. Tozer in his book, That Incredible Christian, may help you. They are the following. Number one, what we want most, what we think about most, how we use our money, what we do with our leisure time, the company we enjoy, who and what we admire, and what we laugh at. Tozer makes the point that self-judgment and introspection are healthy practices. He states, quote, Ask your heart, what would you rather have than anything else in the world? Reject the conventional answer. Insist on the true one. And when you have heard it, you will know the kind of person that you are. I hope you don't hear these, quote, rules and think that this way of thinking is on the slippery slope to legalism. I hope that you hear these rules for what they really are, an expression of the desires of your heart. As I bring my story to a close, 
I'm reminded what my pastor, Doug Shivers, once told me when trying to prepare a testimony for one of these very mission trips. He said, testimony isn't about us, but about what God has done. We all have a story. I certainly did not motivate myself to change after listening to a great sermon or reading my Bible or choosing to go on a mission trip. I had been doing many of these things for years. But rather, Christ moved in me and in an incredible chain of events that he orchestrated to finally make me rise up and truly commit my heart to him. My prayer now and for the future is echoed in Psalm 51. Here David has been introspective, and he doesn't like what he's seen. According to one commentary, it's David's plea to God to do a transforming work in him. Please listen to what he says in verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Take it from me, and don't let a decade of your life be a spiritual blur. But live each day in thankfulness to God for his goodness. Pursue him and examine your hearts so that Christ might renew your mind and allow you to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christ has been the hound of heaven for me, as the poem goes, continuing to pursue me and call me to live for him. I'm so thankful for it. I would like to end with one more quote by A.W. Tozer. He really gave me some good material. In it, he has seen the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in his life, and he wants more of it. But I think he portrays a beautiful picture of how a Christian should grow in desperation for an ever closer relationship with God. So listen to his words. O God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I might know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Would you guys pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, we're so thankful for your grace, um, for your patience in each of our lives, God. We each have a different story, Lord, um, how we've come to you, how you've worked through your spirit in our lives. But God, we're so thankful that in a case such as mine, you have been patient. And Lord, um, you continue to work things together for good. God, we're thankful for Jesus. Um, for his death on the cross, Lord. And as we approach this Christmas season, God, for him being with us, him coming to earth in bodily form to live a perfect life and to ultimately pay the penalty for all of the sins and live a life that none of us could. God, we love you. We pray that you would bless this time in worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to worship this morning. Uh, I couldn't help but uh, it'll be my job to kind of piece together. I don't know where they're going with these, but uh, I couldn't help but as you were talking, uh, when we think about God with us, we like to imagine the angel coming down, <laughs> right? So uh, I'm stuck with a needle and God descends and speaks to me in this room and tells me. But uh, instead what you described was, I think you used the word a test. 
Um, sometimes God demonstrates himself with us by challenging us to see more, testing us. It reminded me of when Mary receives this message. We're told that she pondered these things in her heart, right? Um, it didn't answer all of the questions. God showing up with her didn't all of a sudden make everything a smooth and easy path. But instead what it did is it created in her a desire to know more, to think more, to perceive more, to see more. She pondered these things. Uh, those questions by Tozer were a great way of doing it. So, yeah, thanks for getting us started with it. Let's, uh, Barry, lead us in worship, and then we'll pray at the end.